Hey guys, welcome to Stock Talk. We have a monster of guests uh, to get in here today. Uh, Mr. Jim McCoy is who you're going to hear from in just moments. But uh, before we get too much in detail, I want you guys to know what he means to me. He's my great uncle. He's one of my biggest role models. Uh, realistically, he's the main reason why I got started in the show pig industry and got my good start. So this podcast, to me, uh, means a whole heck of a lot. Uh, just to be able to sit at his house and just chat about the topics of discussion uh, meant a lot to me, but yet... Um, learned a lot in the same sense. So I thought it was extremely valuable. And Corey, uh, my goodness, this is uh, this is something I've always wanted to do. Finally got it recorded. And uh, I think it was huge. See, I think this is a conversation that most oftentimes would happen like in the back of the barn or maybe like one, one time you're out doing chores and you just ask a question or two and uh, you start hearing some of those things. So Folks, sit down and strap in. If you're driving down the road listening to us, make sure you got your seatbelt buckled and you're focused on the road, but make sure you're paying attention because if you haven't heard of Jim McCoy, um, you probably don't uh, have any involvement in the swine industry. Uh, Other than that, I would say you probably should know who he is. Um, Or raise all your pigs in a cave somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Jim, uh, extremely well-respected throughout the industry, uh, well-known, been doing it for uh, the better part of his life, as you'll hear in the uh, segment. You know, uh, our discussion with Jim started as a 4-H project, as most of us do, um, and, uh, you know, might might pick up a, a tip or a trick or two from, from old Jimbo as well. Yeah, just, uh, you know, and, and like I said, he's he's somebody you can just easily listen to. And, uh, you know, I can hear myself or see myself traveling down the road to the uh, the next show or whatever, listening to this. So I hope uh, those of you listening uh, enjoy it just as much as we did. You may hear the audio is a bit different uh, just because we had to pack up our equipment. Uh, I put packed up my equipment, went down to the McCoy Ranch uh to interview him. And then Corey obviously was there in Illinois. So uh, we do a lot of over the internet communication. So audio may be a bit different, but it it is easy to listen to. Uh, Just we had to set up there in his dining room. uh, And and I I thought it worked extremely well. So you hear the little bit of differences. uh, That's why. But uh, obviously, uh, you know, we still made it to where you can hear it and uh, work with it that way. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Let's welcome Jim McCoy. Jim, you may not realize this, but you know, in the in the state of Indiana, it's kind of a big deal to get to go to the Coliseum, no matter what species of livestock you're showing. And uh, you were the first uh, in at least my generation. My dad uh, showed there a few times, but uh, you sent sent my brother to the Coliseum uh, with a pretty good spot guilt we had a few years back. So, kind of a kind of a cool story there with uh jim's relationship uh with us and you know been out to the place of the the boar stud and and judged a few classes when i was a blackhawk and had the opportunity to to uh come out and view some of the boars and stuff like that you guys got out there so um great to great to be talking with you and um if you wouldn't mind just just for uh our listeners sake maybe tell us a little bit about uh, you know, the farm, the operation, what real McCoy is, doesn't have to be a long drawn out story. It's not really what we're here to talk about, but, uh, just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a scope for what you guys got going on. Sure. Well, that's a, that's a neat little story there. You told me about the Coliseum. I didn't realize that I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, uh, that time in Indiana that I got to do the, uh, all those gilts and uh, it was an amazing set of hogs. I remember that day and I remember all walking across, but of course I didn't know many of the kids that, uh, that uh, drove them, but uh, I appreciate that sentiment. Yeah. The, uh, the whole thing at Real McCoy Genetics uh, in existence today, as it is, uh, we run around a hundred sows of multiple breeds and crosses. And we keep about four, between 40 and 45 boars at the boar stud. We've uh, been selling semen now for 25 years. Um, into 46 states now, I guess, uh, started back in 1993. And, um, we, uh, we, we basically had this, um, hundred sour now for several years. It got bigger and then got smaller and it's, it's evolved and, and started out more in a, a, uh, 
Hampshire breeding stock type situation with selling commercial boards and as the industry evolved and all that basically turned a different direction while you evolve into uh, into the show pig uh, program and, and uh, diversify over to where basically all the interest is and more of a niche market in that direction. The, uh, the whole thing actually started um, uh, with a 4-H project and I didn't even uh, show pigs uh, when I, when I started a 4-H course, everybody starts when they're about three years old now with the NJS. I think no it's kidding. You grab people's uh, kids' interests and, um, I think it's really neat that you're able to accomplish that now. But uh, back in the day, why there was no such thing as a jackpot show, and you basically showed at your county fair, and then if you if you ventured on into the state fair. But I didn't show pigs uh, when I was nine years old, and I actually took woodworking projects and didn't even take a pig until I was, uh, I believe, 12. And um, that was only because I uh, went and uh, spent the weekend uh, with a friend of mine that uh, lived across the county here and. Uh, I can still remember when uh, we were out doing something, playing uh, cops and robbers or something out back, as as uh, ten year, eleven year old kids do. And and uh, his dad said, "Now, Scott, I know you got a friend over, but you got to walk your pigs." And uh, so I had no idea what he was talking about because uh, there was no FFA background or 4-H background in our family. Nobody had ever done it. So we went out and and I helped him walk his pigs and kind of thought it was a cool deal. And that's how the whole thing actually started was a was a 4-H project. Uh, with a friend. And, um, so I, I had two Hampshire bears that, uh, I bought for $40 a piece and showed one of those to County one his class. And there's where it started. So it all evolved from that into going into FFA and, um, getting a couple of Hampshire sows and, and starting from there. So it all, all evolved, uh, fairly quickly. So all that kind of started back in about, uh, the sow program back in about 1973. So, uh, quite a few years, quite, quite a little bit of history, particularly in the Hampshire end of it, and then evolving over into the show pig and boar stud after that. And it's yeah. funny, that just a little moment like that will lead you into something. Because I remember we always had Christmas here at or Thanksgiving or whatever yeah. right here on the farm. And I remember you brought a little Hampshire baby pig out in the grass once. And I was knee-high to a grasshopper at that point, reached down, touched a pig, and haven't, haven't had my hands off of a pig since. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all. Uh, Amazing! I've done it my entire life, and even though you do it and you live it, it still amazes me how a pig project or a livestock project in general grabs families. Yeah, and, and even after the the kids are graduated and they're gone, uh, if they don't have grandkids on on the way, so many people will almost unofficially adopt a kid and say, "Well, hey, how about a, kid, a pig project? We'll just put it out here in the backyard. We'll help you with it." And they just can't get enough of it. And it, it's uh, it's truly amazing. I mean, I, I love it as much as anybody, but it still just makes you shake your head and just wonder, like, how this really does this to people. But it's such a positive experience. I mean, you just want everybody to, to have part of it. Exactly right. Yep, for sure. You know, I was thinking $40 for, uh, you know, a barrel would be pretty good times <laughs> these days. <laughs> you need to throw a couple more zeros on it anymore. And, and we can go off into other parts of history. I mean, there's all kinds of different um, visits you can have about this thing. But you know, we kind of lived here in Washington Courthouse, Ohio, was kind of a hotbed for different livestock. And, and one of the only actual organized pig sales was started in Washington Courthouse with Lester Jordan family. That's the sale I went to. And my dad and I went to that to buy this very first pig. And, and uh, they were all just, oh, it was just, you couldn't afford anything because they were bringing god-awful amounts of money, like $125, $150. Oh, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. So we actually uh, did not get anything bought. And um, we, uh, on the way out, were kind of d- discouraged. And uh, there was a, a guest consigner that day, Jim Jim Bernard, which actually just passed away this past spring, an Hampshire breeder. He had some uh, some guest consignments and didn't sell some of them. And my dad said, "Would you you still got those pigs?" I said, "Yeah, how much do you want?" I said, "I'll take forty dollars a piece." So that's where I got it. Jim Bernard here just a few years ago uh, showed the uh, top selling board TNA State Fair, brought fifty thousand. So I mean, it's there's a lot of history. Just those, a couple yeah. more zeros. Yeah, <laughs> everything kind of crosses over. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of history amongst everybody, and it's it's a pretty neat deal. Huh. That's pretty cool. You know, I was kind of thinking, you know, as, as Trevor was like, hey, I'd really, really like to bring Jim on the show. I think it'd be great to talk about uh, some of the things he's experienced and stuff like that. And and to kind of, I guess, segue into what we're going to really dive into 
that I think is going to be a really interesting topic of discussion for, for those that are going to listen. Uh, you know, it's, it's really neat to, to kind of go back in time and think about the simple innovations maybe that we think are simple now that weren't back then, you know, I, I'm sure your semen, semen collection process and all that kind of stuff has changed a ton over the years with advancement in, in technology and things like that. But, you know, people don't think about the other things that the ideas, the, the big uh, splashes that were made in regards to, you know, how, how do we continue to make livestock uh, different or better or improve certain traits and things like that. So, you know, with that kind of innovation in mind, um, you know, Jim, we really brought you on to, to talk about the stress gene, uh, and, and kind of how you, how you found it. Um, you know, what made you think the industry needed it, uh, things like that. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all about learning about these, these kinds of innovations and, and kind of going back and digging back to our roots and our history and figuring out, you know, what kind of goes into the minds of, of those folks that are trying to make that kind of a, a difference in, in the industry. So. Um, if you want to go ahead and maybe introduce us to a little bit of, uh, of this topic here, the stress gene. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's not something that I found, obviously it's, um, truthfully, some has been in existence since the beginning of time. It's, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't know, uh, really what it was, uh, back in the day, really before I even ever had pigs. And I know Dr. Lauren Christian here at Iowa state did a lot of research and, and uh, they just call it the halothane gene because um, they just uh, knew that if you euthanized pigs for uh, surgery or whatever, that some of them didn't wake up. And they used halothane gas uh, in the process. And those ones that didn't wake up, as we know it now, as testing has uh, progressed, um, those would have been uh, been positive uh, to the stress gene. Stress gene uh, is uh, depending upon who... Um, wanted to characterize it or what uh, aspects of it. it. It could have been called the muscle gene. It could have been called the leanness gene, could have been called the extreme gene, uh, could have been called the death gene. I mean, it, there's all kinds of different things because there's <laughs> all kinds of aspects to it. Um, in, obviously, in its most extreme form is, is a bad deal. Um, in the, the carrier forms and in the, in the a good structure in the process of putting it together with a hog uh, actually was a very, very good kind of a thing that actually worked fine. But the, uh, back in the sixties, the back when they just called it halothane gene, they knew something existed, didn't know exactly why it was all, always the more extreme, uh, extreme muscled hogs that they would notice would, uh, would be that way. And, and truthfully before they really recognized any kind of a test, um, those hogs would generally always win carcass competitions. And uh, when they didn't uh, characterize it as an actual, gene problem or mutation so um you know it was considered a, a positive thing the a, a good thing the uh, uh hampshire hogs um a lot of walrich hogs were uh, uh always win the competition at the national bear show um uh, in the carcass competition and those hogs uh, more than likely were all, all carriers of the bulk of them probably would have been and, and several uh, of those hogs would have been that type and kind they're a little slicker headed tighter eared uh bigger topped quite a bit more muscle behind and those hogs would generally win carcass competitions as uh, things kind of evolved. Uh, there were several hogs that um, again would, you, you could, you could use as a pedigree and create muscle. Um, and I dealt more in hamsters back than anything way back in the day in the eighties and nineties. And um, in 1993, uh, I believe it. And I, I'm vague on the on names or anything, but there's a couple guys, I believe they're out of Canada that actually arrived at the, um, the stress gene test uh, the, and they identified this, this gene as being uh, in the DNA makeup, the 18,443rd uh, lineup in their, in their alleles to, uh, to, to identify this gene. And if I understand it right, they actually weren't even looking for this. That if, and again, this is, uh, it's not here to say it was in studies that I, it's been several years now since I've looked at those, but I believe the guys were actually looking for, a something to do with an Alzheimer's gene in humans. Okay. It happened now in the world. You ever arrive at the, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Huh. It ends up a gene that caused stress or muscle. I don't know. Well, if but, you think about it, that, I mean, there's a lot of students and now in the, in the health industry that work on pigs because there's a lot of similarities 
I yep. mean, I mean, digestive, reproductive, yep. and respiratory, whatever. So it makes kind of sense, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, not yeah. not not on the surface. Yeah. So they, anyhow, they arrived at that, and then they had a patent on it, and that's in 1993 is when that patent came out, and and uh, actually people could actually test, and so you could actually test and and uh, and find out if you had a a positive, a negative, or a carrier, and. Um, the fact that you had the ability to test them was, was very valuable. And it's, it's still valuable today as far as I'm concerned and, and being able to know, you know exactly where you're at and, and be able to breed hogs and go forward, I think was, uh, was extremely important. And the, uh, the first, uh, first talk, the experience I had with any of it, uh, the premier swine breeding systems, um, Dave Kilmer and, and Phil Myers in Indiana, Danny Shoup put, have got all those hogs put together. Those were Walridge based hogs out of premier four, premier four was a carrier. They didn't know at the time, but they ended up figuring that out in 93. And they chose basically being on the more commercial side of it to um, use strictly negative hogs, which that's fine. It makes sense. And, you know, just a bunch of commercial hogs, you you prefer to make them heavy muscle, make them negative. There's no testing involved. You don't have to worry about it down the road. So that was actually how I ended up getting the first hog that I ever bought was a carrier, a known carrier. Um, was a, a Premier Four son we call Premier Jerry, which actually ended up being the first hog we ever collected to sell semen on back in '93. <laughs> That's in it all a lot. Everything shoots off of every direction from there. And um, they sold me that board because I had seen that hog and at uh, tour, I toured the whole system with Denny Shoop and and went through the entire the entire program at, at Kilmer's and uh, very impressive. I had to get some, get some semen there that we used and, and then went to Phil Myers and he, he did a lot of stuff more old school and it's 50 boys running in a group and, and an old barn. And this, uh, one all kept coming. Uh, I stand out in the middle of it. One all kept coming up and chewing on my boot and I, he's 51 too. And, uh, and I, I marked it down and then anyhow, he just kind of kept coming around and I said, well, I like that whole gear. What's that? Well, that's that 51 too. So he kept coming back around his own hog. I really liked the whole group. And tried to buy him, and, and at that time the test hadn't been formulated yet, and um, they, they were going to use him within the system. And called dumb luck, fate, what have you, I ran into Denny Shoop on my way into the ring at the Indiana State Fair, and uh, I said, how'd that 51 litter boy ever do? Just in general passing, he said, really good. He started some class winners here, but we could probably sell him today. I said, I'll take him. I didn't ask him how much he wanted for him. I saw him. <laughs> And uh, then I, I talked to him afterwards, and he told me what he wanted. He said, "Now he's a carrier." I said, it's "Okay, I saw that." So we we got him because we had um, a lot of uh, old line Hampshire pedigrees, and they were they were extremely heavy boned, loose structured, bigger frame kind of hogs, and uh, we needed what this hog had. This hog had great structure as far as soundness and flex, but he had shape. He had a cocky head carriage to clean the. Uh, jawline and and he was what i felt like we needed for where we were trying to go in the thing and we bred just about every sow we could to him and and it was uh it was incredible it was just like throwing gas on fire and, and it was uh really lit things up i mean those hogs uh i had never experienced a, you know some of the carrier deal but those, those hogs were active i mean they and the and i'm not talking about stress prone these these were carriers on negatives so we had carriers and negatives and as long as you have good structure those hogs those hogs function fine and um, we had probably better vigor and better uh, growth rate and uniformity and activity. And I mean, everything was better. The, the boars were, were better breeders. I mean, everything kind of overnight just launched into a better level of Hampshire hogs. And we, we, we did quite a bit of winning that year. And we did offer some semen uh, starting with a little flyer that fall with a couple of Hampshire boars. And, and that uh, it went from there for the next 25 years. So. It's been uh, it's been kind of an, of an interesting thing, and I don't want to make it sound like you know I found the stress gene and it's all my deal. It's not. I I was known as a stress guy because I, I defended um, just people's ability to make their choice, and that was basically what it was about. It wasn't saying I wanted them all to be cares, or I wanted them all to be positive. It didn't positive was a bad bad trip. Uh, the fact you have the ability to test and you should have the responsibility to test made it to where if you had good hogs that did have the gene, they did offer some things to us that, uh, that was needed. It was toyed with in the commercial industry. I mean, there were articles in national hog farmer about, um, um, you know, whether it should be used or not. I mean, it was actually talked about quite a bit and, and the, and the commercial side decided not to, because with the stress gene came 
about a 10% more incidence of possibility of PSE meat. Um, didn't, it didn't mean they were all thrown out the, out the door, but, but you would have one out of 10 more that might possibly have a little more grip loss. that might possibly have a, a little more, uh, uh, a pale meat quality. So in the commercial industry, for sure, um, they rooted it out in, in did it fairly effectively. Now, did that solve all of the commercial industry's meat quality problems? No. Um, because after they brought out pork quality audits several years later, they actually found out with some of the breeds they were using, which were white breeds, and they're not meat quality breeds, um, they found out their incidence of PSC meat actually went up. In their, in their, it went up by 57%. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's their deal. Um, they can do as they choose with that. Just let me do what I want to do. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. And, and just being, uh, around the farm as often, um, you hear, you hear some words come up like pistol and you, you pull into the, uh, the farm here and just to think about the history behind it all. And, and I guess at times, stress gene in itself, those words can get a bad rap. And really, uh, it's improved a lot of things. And, you know, in its most extreme form, it can be bad. You know, that's just like anything. But um, I, I want to jump into, um, you know, you pull into the farm here. And if you've ever had a judging team pull in, they, they take a picture by this tombstone. And uh, the there's a bunch of uh, things on that that I want to uh, – to, to bring into this conversation, but, um, it's a, it's a tombstone of a hog. I'll let you kind of do the rest of the talking, but, uh, it says pistol Pete with his, uh, just like a human, if, if he would be buried there with his birth date and death date, but then it has a, a slogan underneath that I love that says it's a brave new world. So, uh, there, there's a lot of things that I think is cool about that, but what, what would you share about, about that and, and kind of the history amongst it? Well, the, uh, backing up just a little bit and then getting into that, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, even in the commercial side, it was a, a packer's plea for, um, breeders and producers to produce a leaner, more muscular product. There was, hogs were too fat. They did not have enough, enough genuine muscle. So, there was a push, and in truth, that's why hamsters were so po- uh, positive uh, used in the, in the commercial industry at the time because they could create muscle. And um, there was a push for that, and that was the initial initial push that was to to, to gain muscle and leanness um, through uh, really some of the very first patrons within the country. Bill Range brought in, uh, in uh, his firm was called Euroswine, and he brought in some. Uh, some uh, Irish and um, Belgian-based patrons, uh, and used a lot of crosses. And actually, anybody in the in the show pig business would would know the name One Hundred Five Jerry McLemore. And that was actually he was Hampshire sired sired by a board called the Ritz. That was the Earnhardt board about forty thousand in Indiana. Went to lean value. And the bottom side of that board was uh, goes back to a a, a half blood boar called Blackjack, which um, came from the Euroswine program bill range. And that was, that was some of the very first, um, first patrons that were used. Now, some of the patrons, um, were not real popular because truthfully they were, they were too quick in their maturity. They were, they were rounder, uh, shorter couple, more obnoxious in their muscle. Um, and they would finish too quick. And because of that, um, they would look so good when they were little. People would buy them for a lot of money, and they never finish. And um, so the stigma, and a lot most Pietran boards, because of their, they basically the, the original uh, Pietran influence back in in Europe um, were, were actually were a percentage Berkshire. And I was going to ask if they were themselves a breed, or if they were crossed in, into it. I yeah, guess. just yeah, virtually every breed has been built from something. Mm-hmm. To, make the initial individuals and they were known to be like a three eighths, uh, three eighths Berkshire. And then it was a French breed. that actually was a white breed that, uh, I don't know which really created the muscle. I've never, I've researched it, but never actually seen pictures of what that was. Um, but because of that inherent, um, five white points, that's why you see so many patron hogs with, uh, with that, that the little more white skin on their nose, and they'll uh, they'll they'll start skunk faces. <laughs> so back in the day, 
because of that bad stigma, some of those hogs would finish too early. Uh, a lot of those were skunk faced belted hogs because they were usually used on, on Hampshire crosses. So there was a, there was a real stigma even amongst judges at the time. They wouldn't use a skunk face. Didn't want to buy one. Didn't want to use one in the ring. It just knew it's that daggone pit and stuff. And it, <laughs> it wouldn't be any good. So, um, there, there was that stigma on, on, on skunk faces back then, just like, like you see a stigma on, on, uh, some people don't like all black ones now. Right. You know, they think they can't be good, but they are good ones are good ones. Right. I don't care what color they are and, and just try to try to build them the best you can. But, um, there was a, there was a stigma for that. So, the, you know, some of those hogs did a really good job. And as they lowered, you know, percentages of it, diluted some of it out, they would get them to, to function pretty well. And this, the line we've got is, is, is more of a German based, um, alignment and those hogs uh, have a tendency to be be bigger, longer, and later maturing, but still extreme in their muscle. And again, ca- carriers aren't good because they're carriers. That's 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 just not. If you can do it without it, I'd say. And most people are getting it done now. And just really, truth, they're kind of hard to find very many carrier boars that that uh, even available. Uh-huh. And that's fine. It, it's all good. But these hogs were built from that basis of a bunch of carriers back in the day, because you can breed your way and test your way through genetic selection and, and, and selection pressure on your keeping gilts. You can breed right on out of it and, and take those carriers, build good negatives. That was the whole, the whole uh, purpose in the beginning was just to be allowed to use them to get where we need to be. If a person were to use this gene back in the day or today or whenever, and just do it helter skelter, that's irresponsible. You got no right to be breeding hogs <laughs> and you shouldn't have to do that because you have the ability to test them. And, um, anybody that, that, that takes a carrier to a carrier and gets a positive, you don't need to be selling those to people. And, and if you want to use that one in your own herd and take the risk to build a carrier or negative, that that's okay. And we used to actually, we had a boar called Muscle Shirt that was a son of tap on. He was a wow. positive, and he we had he was on the cover of the catalog. And he was one of the most sought after there there was, and uh, but we would sell seam on him. People would would ask for a positive boar because they had Yorkshire sows, then right. known stress negative Yorkshire sows. They would take that boar, breed those negatives, get all carriers, so they had consistency within litters. Because a lot of times for for our selection pressure where we wanted to be in the industry. When you would breed some, you know, you could almost tell by looking at the litter before you ever test them where they were going to be. And the carriers were generally the good ones. They were the, the visual ones that had more shape and more stuff. And the negatives were the were the plainer ones. Uh-huh. So, again, depending upon who named a genus is, you know, whether you want to call it definition, gene, whatever. I mean, the, those hogs had visual shape. And where we were at in the industry of trying to create a, you know, a more of a butterfly shaped top, you know, deeper group top, which we still talk about today about top shape, right? right? That, that turn to the loin edge and, and, a, and a little more expression of stifle. Um, it was, uh, it was imperative that you use some of that along the line to kind of get where you needed to be uh, in the show ring. Cause you know, we're, we're in a visual industry and um, it doesn't make any difference if one looks like they have an eight inch loin eye or if they don't, if a commercial, if a PIC hog has eight and a half inch eye and and uh, will be the highest percentage cutting hogs, if he doesn't look like he does, it doesn't mean anything in our industry. Right. Mm-hmm. Very There's good. Right the bottom. Right. And by the same token, it doesn't make any difference if you've got the biggest top and the biggest butt. If they can't walk, you're going to be third and lower all day long. Yeah. And, and I don't care where we're at. If we're talking about slick-headed ones, bucket-headed ones, big-bellied, slick-bellied, whatever, they got to be sound. they got to walk. And when this gene back in the day was used with hogs that were physically put together right, had right structure, and they had balance, and they were able to motor, and all their angles were right, you're going to win. And those hogs would still cut. They didn't throw the carcasses away. It's right. it's not like you know the 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 show the entire show pig industry nationwide is one percent of the national kill. Okay, so you're talking about increasing a possibility of PSE in one tenth of one percent of the national kill. I don't think we're taking the market down. <laughs> you know, it's and I, I don't I don't want to you know try to, to make light of, of carcass quality and all that because it's utmost importance. But um, it, it's not, it wasn't all a throwaway deal, and the, the ability to use this gene in the process to build where we wanted to be 
um, is very good. And, you know, current day hogs, uh, dirty secret. Uh, his sire was bachelor party, which stood right out here. Uh-huh. He was carrier and, uh, and a very influential carrier. And there, there are so many things about the gene. We, we know that are negative. We know that are good, whatever. And I, I think it would be an arrogant statement to say that we know everything there is to be known about every gene that there is. There's, there's some things just go along with certain genes that just, we don't always understand. We just know it exists and know it happens. Different species have, uh, have different God given genes in a mutation form like the, um, quarter horse association had the HYPP gene and mm-hmm. they tried to eradicate that because it was a little bit of a flip out gene of some kind where they'd go spastic, crazy, whatever in a positive form. But if I understand it right after the, uh, they tried to eradicate a lot of the horse performance wasn't near as good. So they basically ended up, uh, um, identifying that and using it in a carrier type of form. Um, they talk about gray sheep on some of the different genes of mutations there. Gray sheep, which is a carrier form sometimes, are the uh, more visual animals to be uh-huh. used there. Um, I believe uh, TH carriers in some of the cattle. I know that's a very horrible thing in a positive state, but if they're carriers, some of those carriers are pretty good. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, a, you know, a lot of God-given things we may not understand, and, and there's bad things that go you know, with, with excess, but if done in the right way and you keep your feet on the ground with your structure and your balance, that's where the whole thing can actually be a really good deal. But the testing is utmost importance. And, um, you know, the people that back in the day when we'd have a carrier board, uh, uh, they want to use a carrier board, they want to use a positive board. I'd say, well, what, you know, what kind of style you got? Well, she's a blue butt. Well, tell me a little more. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they'd say, well, you know, she's such and such. And I said, well, is she negative? Is stress negative? She cares. Well, she don't act stressy. And that's, 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 if you don't, if you haven't tested it, carriers don't act stressy. I mean, it, it's positive. Some positives don't. Pistol Pete, we'll talk about it as I get to it there in a second, uh, was not over nine years old when he passed and never had a bad day. Um, and he was positive. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, it, when you get those types of calls, it is, it's the responsibility of a boar stud owner or breeder, uh, to say, well, if you don't know the stress task, we need to breed her neck. And you just don't create any, try to create any problems. Yeah. If people, you know, twist your arm and say, well, I, I still want to use that one. You let them know how bad it could be. And obviously they're going to buy what they want to buy, but you do everything you can to try to make that the best situation. Uh, the whole pistol Pete deal was, like I said, he's of a, of a German base and uh, the Germans were, were bigger, longer, later maturing, smoother muscle, but extreme in muscle, but, but very sound, very aggressive. Um, the uh, the whole stigma about the extra heaviness of muscle, you know, we were always taught back in the day, real heavy muscle, sows can't raise pigs. The absolute very best sows we've ever had on the place for pistol feet, half-blood crossbreds, out of hancher sows, and, and uh, truthfully, even out, out of Duroc sows is where they work the very best, those red-spotted sows, bred back to a more like neat, like that we answered where we had out of the Ritz back in the day. Those made the most killer bears that we've ever ever built. Um. Those kind that just kind of shoot them out and smack the back of the. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Literally those, those purebred Pietrin sows, we had some of those. And the first one I ferret, you know, I was scared to death, sat out there all night, but you could literally, they were, they were so, so thin skinned and transparent. You could read milk veins, down, but you could literally, as the contractions would shoot, would, would go back the pig's side, you could literally watch the contraction like a wave come to the back and it hit. About where the rum starts, the next thing you know, the pig shoots. That's amazing. Hmm. So it's more it's more in how the pelvis is built, the way they're 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 built inside than it is on the muscle that you pack on top of it. it really had more to do with it. The whole pistol peak thing was uh it was uh it was a situation where I felt like it was a it was a, a necessary thing for us. I felt like it was a necessary thing for the industry. Well, something that was needed, I think, very much at the time to basically make hogs that could still get bigger, be longer, uh, be longer fronted, and have rib and have body and, and extreme muscle on, on one package. And he kind of did that. Him and a couple of those others we brought in that uh, that really created a lot of buzz. It was uh, um, it was not a popular thing, I would say. Um, People like to laugh before when they found out what you were doing, um, and it's like 
if you're a football coach and you're on the goal line and you play that call, uh, depending upon how that play goes, you're either a hero or a zero. Mm, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're going to say, man, that guy, he really saw that coming. That was awesome. And if it didn't, it's like, what an idiot. <laughs> so this is no different. Um, it was kind of being made fun of before really we ever even got the pigs on the ground. It's like, you know, he'll be broke before they ever get one that's good enough to ever take to the ring because they're just going to be too, they're going to be too much. Well, the fact that these were bigger, later maturing, smoother built hogs, and we had some of the old line Hampshire hogs still here of, of the heavier boned uh, variety that, uh, that needed more muscle and shape. Um, we went ahead and did that. And as we, we started to, to uh, gradually, we kind of kept them to ourselves, and as we kind of started to advertise, I took pictures of what we brought in and just put the boars' names on there, and, and uh, we actually advertised in the purple circle and put the boars' four names and put what their scan figures was. We got them scanned when they came in here, and uh, we we coined the phrase at the bottom uh, bottom of that ad: uh, "It's a brave new world." That's all we said, and the phone just started lighting up, <laughs> and. Uh, the very first hog that we uh, that we exhibited, um, actually, kind of was ironic to talk about black hog and all that. Uh, um, Mark Hogue's now wife, Katie, used to be Katie Weisinger, um, exhibited the very first one that came out. No kidding. And uh, sixty nine liter hog that was shown at uh, National Western there in Denver, and he was grand overall. Wow, <laughs> the very first one. Your very first one. That would have been ninety seven, I believe. We we got those in here December of ninety five. So uh yeah, I guess it would have been ninety seven, like yeah, January ninety seven. So well there you go, White Singer Hogue family. If you're listening, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a sixty nine or hog uh, uh Mike, my son was he was going to Black Hawk right then and and um came home and actually sorted that hog out. That was the one he wanted to, to get out there because he didn't make the draft. Back then he had to draft for Denver and a lot of them didn't get in because so many, you actually had to go through that sift process and uh, hold over at Boulder and then and get on over into the deal. But uh, so he got that hog out there and, and, uh, and Katie showed that, showed that hog was grand. Randy Shipley judged the show and I know Clark's track at the, at that time was judging quite a few shows and still as sharp as they come and, he had made a comment. Somebody said that was as good a one as he had seen in a long time. And the interesting thing, I mean, you know, that was show show as they looked back then. It wasn't a, a pedigree show. And that hog looked like a bona fide straight up Hampshire, but he showed in the crosses. She, she showed in the crosses. And uh, that hog had uh, no skunk face. Mm. And that was one of the unique things about Pistol Pete was uh, he was a gray body type of hog. Um, but where most of the, most of the patrons hog, hogs had, white skin and white hair and that's that's splash on the face he didn't have that hmm. he was gray so so many times we would sire um just normal belted hogs straight out the gate now you could get skunks out of it too but but there was a lot of hogs out of him just came straight up and then one of the very next ones was uh we had reserve grand high state fair under steve nichols and uh then the uh actually was shown as as a hampshire because he looked like a hampshire in uh, October was uh, we had uh, Champion Hampshire and Grand overall at uh, at uh, Dallas Texas State Fair was another one. So they just kind of started lighting the thing up all across the board. That's crazy, Jim. Where did where so where did you get Pistol Pete and the other boars at? You know, you mentioned they came from some German heritage. Kind of tell us maybe a little bit of that process if you wouldn't mind. You know how how you discovered them and and you know how you decided that that those were the boars you wanted. That was the that was the firm you wanted to get them from. That kind of stuff. Yeah, some that would probably be a, a different story for a different time. But the, it, truthfully, it, it uh, with the influx of of uh, seeing some of the Euro swine stuff and those different hogs, uh, there was a fellow in Indiana, uh, Gary uh, Maloney, out there that uh, guy was working for me. Scott Evans had known through a Duroc breeder was uh, over here. He had some half blood stuff, and I, I went over and actually bought a couple of. Uh, uh, red spotted uh, half bloods, and those were, I mean, extreme for the time. I mean, we wouldn't see them extreme today, but they were. They had a, a really defined, square, bold top shape, and quite a bit more uh, shape behind. And 
we kind of started with those uh, to incorporate a little bit with the Hampshire thing back here, and I guess probably '94. And um, truthfully, the the some of the the deal that I end up getting to with those boars kind of started as as a uh, as I, when I when I saw an ad in uh, a magazine in my mag- mailbox that I didn't order, and uh, still to this day I don't know why it came, but it started coming called International Pig Topics, and and uh, picked it up. Usually, you just kind of throw those things aside and, and uh, pitch them, but I opened this one up and, and saw an ad in there that had uh, um, had a picture of a hog that I had never seen before, and I just circled a card and and, uh, and decided to uh, to check into it a little bit, and that's kind of how I uh, I figured out, uh, you know, there was something, something on the other side of Bloomingburg, Ohio, that I needed to be taking a look at. The pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> That's it. For the time, for the time, for sure. That's cool. Um, man, so any kind of, I know you talked about, you know, some of that wasn't a real popular decision. I mean, what were some of those those uh, roadblocks that maybe you had early on that, that you know, you kind of advocated for? you know, the, the reasons and, and justifying, you know, done responsibly, it could truly affect the way show pigs, you know, are built and, and how we evaluate them, you know, even today. Well, there was, you know, there was a, uh, there was a pretty good, pretty sizable national push to try to, to try to get rid of the gene altogether. And again, I, I didn't want to try to advocate and say, everybody needs to use it. I, that's not, it wasn't the yeah, right. I, I just want, just wanted the ability um, to be able to do what I saw fit, you know, I had to figure out how to pay my feed bills and and pay my electric bills, and I wanted to, I wanted to, to uh, have a little bit of decision in my own destiny of of how to accomplish that. If I felt like I needed to use some of those hogs, I just wanted to have the ability to do it, and I felt like any other breeder had that same right because, truthfully, anything we do, regardless of what what gene it is or what you know what we're talking about, what type and kind. Um, your customers will tell you whether what you're doing is right. Because if they call you up and, you know, do you have this or that, or they show up and well, I want to see this or that, you pretty much need to know uh, what you need to have uh, in stock to be able to supply their needs because your customers know what they want and they know what the industry is looking toward. And it's just like if you had, if you had short fat ones and, and the industry or the, the judges are saying they got to be real long, tall and skinny, you better figure out how to get them big, long, tall and skinny <laughs> somehow. Um, because you, your customer base will tell you, you know, I like what I see. And that's why we're coming back. And you don't want to just sell something to somebody one time. You want to have a repeat customer that has good luck with what you do. So the, your customer base will tell you. So that was what. I relied on basically was, uh, you know, let us make our own decisions and then let us decide what we need to sell to people. But there was a, a fairly broad push nationwide to, to pretty much eradicate the gene. And so there was, you know, there was pitfalls and some of that to where basically not standing up to say, everybody's got to use it, just leave us alone, let us breed hogs and we'll take care of ourselves. Um, there was, there were uh, seminars and, and uh, different particular things around the country that where people would, uh, again, make this push from different uh, segments of the industry. And it was it was just a situation where you, you kind of had to stand up and, and do what you felt was right to um, just just to make sure that you didn't do something too quick and too rash and just and find out later. Um, that you needed to have taken it slow and taken your time. You know, there back in the day, it was it wasn't as much of a stress gene thing and a muscle thing as it was. Um, there were lots of issues going on uh, within the, within the industry that, that combined for a lot of problems. You combine the fact that you made, and I don't care if they're care, they're positive care, negative, whatever. But if you combine the fact that they they had a lot of muscle, they were extremely lean. Um, the push was to make them slicker middle, not near as much middle. So you took them off feed. Sometimes if you did, if you dehydrated them, you created a train wreck all on your own. And they were having some hogs that were, um, that were going, you know, shaking down or going down the ring or they would, uh, 
they would be uh, congregated and, and loaded. They would lose some on the trailers and, and all those things together create a bad deal. And that's bad all day long in a year. So it was getting blamed for quite a bit of that. Um, and I would say it, it had some effect on some of them, especially when in, a, in a positive effect, uh, the positive gene effect. I'd say that's where you would have had more of those issues. But again, over time, allowing breeders, we basically just said, you know, let us breed dogs and it will take care of itself. And as we added quarter, third, more inch, half inch, more fat, uh, cover over those hogs, uh, hydrated them, gave them more, a little more rib and a little more fill, and actually treated them right as they were loaded and allowed them the ability to hydrate. Uh, Jody Sterling down in Texas, when she was running the majors down there, um, basically gave them all free choice water and, and allowed them to relax. And basically the loading process was more the issue really than that gene itself. And it was being made out to be, you know, the, the, the pork quality issue that, uh, you know, was just horrible. But as I said before, with the pork quality audit thing, it, you know, it actually went up in the commercial segment after, after the gene was gone and dogs were just all white all of a sudden. Um, but it, uh, it basically came down to where, to where just a little common sense <laughs> right. went along. You know, and, and I think that's in a whole lot of segments for our industry. If we just use common sense um, and a little more moderation, um, everything is a whole lot better. It, you know, that it's really never been the pig's fault. It's never been the gene's fault because it's it's always been human nature, and it still is, and it still will be. And I don't get out. Whether you want to talk about a few years ago when they were about as wide as they were long, and they got too wide and outside themselves and unpractical, or if you want to talk about back in the day when they didn't have enough middle and they had no jawbone and they were, they were slick, you know, it's never really been the hog's fault. It's always been human nature. Right. And, um, human nature is like, well, little bit's good. A whole bunch got to be better. Yeah. And we got to get there fast before anybody else. We don't care what we wreck in the process. And those, those are lack of common sense traits that, that, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody, it probably dips into it every so often, but, if you just keep your feet on the ground and keep the balance and structure right, you can go so many different directions um, in the offshoots of whatever, because this thing's going to evolve because a lot of it because of that human nature, because we wreck ourselves and you got to figure out how to get out of your problems. So somewhere along that middle of the line, uh, middle of the road on frame size and, and uh, to, to slightly above, you'll be better off. If you go to the downside of it, it's always harder to get out of. But if you're just on the plus side of that average of frame size and, and you've got the right kind of bone, the right kind of joints, and the right kind of balance, and they got a good kind of a look and they've got muscle, you can accentuate that all directions. The other thing that um, in the stress gene part of it that I felt like, of course, back in the day, it was, you know, with, there was only about two colored buckets that you'd feed. Now you, you can, you know, everyone in the rainbow, any additive you want to give them, um, that was our way of creating muscle. Well, that was going to be one of the things I was either going to add or ask is, do you think we can, you know, we're so quick to add paling now to get our reaction to muscle shape or, yeah. you know, you can, you can change it. Like you said, with any, any bucket you want from any company that you want and get your response. Well, some of those hogs have to naturally have it before you even build onto it. So, I mean, that's just my take on it, but. Yeah, it um, again uh, the eighteen forty three. That's a God given gene, and it's you know it can be bad, it can be good, it can be somewhere in between. Um, the fact that that is a genetic trait for muscle and leanness, that was the one way to get it um, legitimately, and those hogs would legitimately sire muscle. Now you take a hog today that maybe just has just enough muscle and you hit the paline and whatever else you want to do cosmetically, that does not make that hog genetically have the ability to create muscle. Mm -hmm. That, And it should bother about anybody listening because there are, again, I guess it's why we rely so much on structure and balance because you can't feed structure and balance. Mm -hmm. That's there. And that's genetically there. It's, it's physically there, and hopefully you've got them bred right, backing up generations on your bottom side. 
to where that's what they legitimately should look like. Now, we all realize hogs are fed this way for a reason, to look the part in the ring. But when you buy boars and females, you better hope there's something there before they started that bucket. Uh Because that's why, you know, I... If we bought a carrier boar back in the day, I mean, and they had shape, you knew they had shape. You knew they'd create shape. Today, you don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing you know is a certain line, of, and when you use this stuff, is if a hog has the ability to respond and at what level and what what speed they will, they will respond to get visual look uh, or whether they don't have any real muscle in them, they won't respond. But that's about all it tells you. So would I rather use a gene that I am confident in actually can contribute? Yeah. It kind of lessens your feed bucket, really. I mean, it's no doubt, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, if if, it's, I mean, the feeding thing is obviously it's an art and a challenge and it's, it's some fun and frustrations both, but the breeding hog is to me, what was always the most fun of trying to put something together and it's still challenging, but, um, Back in the day, it was it was more of a breeding game. Now it's 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 a combination of breeding, breeding both. Yeah, uh, the good ones do it themselves. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, and you and you know, you see you see things. You, you see some hogs that may bring quite a bit of money or look really good, and you may never see anything out of them. And you know, it's that's probably the situation. Mm-hmm. You should have the ability to to breed their way out of a out of a thing. Yeah. This isn't very deep in discussion, but how did Pistol Pete the name Pistol come up? <laughs> Uh, when I was growing up, um, well, actually back in junior high, I guess probably about the time there was a guy named Pistol Pete Maravich that played, uh, basketball for LSU. And, um, he was a little skinny white boy, about like myself <laughs> and, uh, had real baggy socks and, and he could, he could do more things with the basketball and was more fun to watch. He could make people look like fools on the court. I mean, dribble like you wouldn't believe, passes like you wouldn't believe, and just stand out there and bomb threes all day long. And um, I just always had a had a big admiration for him and on kind of what he represented. And I just, I love the name, but he called him Pistol Pete Maravich. And, and um, he's passed away now. He was a good Christian guy. He did a lot of speaking late in his, late in his years, but he, he passed away. But he did a lot of good things for people too. But uh, um that's where it came from. I just always loved that name. That's cool. I, I've never heard it, ever heard the history behind it. Hey, being a being an Indiana guy, you know, I, I actually have a lot more respect now for Pistol Pete's namesake than uh, than maybe I thought previously. <laughs> did uh, did 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 old Pistol Pete actually know that there was a there was a show pig named after him? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, I can't remember what year that he actually that uh, that um, the real pistol Pete. I don't know what, what year he he passed, but I did hear that he, he had passed away. And uh, but he he did he did actually did a lot of uh, he did a lot of speaking with um, James Dobson that the, on the focus on the family it was one of the Christian radio deals back in the day. Anyhow, he uh, he did some different programs with him, just good with kids, and that's kind of what we do. I mean, it's this whole pig thing we can. We can talk about hogs all we want, and we love to build build a unique beast. But it's a it's very much a byproduct of of building kids and building people. Well, yeah, I mean, we I think hogs, the you know, livestock in general, are the medium in which we develop absolutely youth. So the show industry is an industry in itself, and, and a business, and, and everything beyond. But if it ain't fun, don't do it. You know, exactly. There's too many things that the kids are going to want to do. And if, if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Life's too short. And uh, those kids are going to find something to do that, that, that grab them. And I, I guarantee you they're going to get in. There's a whole lot of things they can get into that are a whole lot worse than this. This will teach them a sense of responsibility and sense of worth and a work ethic like they've never seen. That's the, I mean, tip, Corey, I don't know if you, with your families too, but usually I'm, I'm when I meet with them, I, I usually say, look, this is an investment in your kid. Because let's be honest, you know, there is no longer $40 hogs and you can't, <laughs> this, you can't do show pigs to make a profit as a 4-H project. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I just a firm believer in that. So I, I do think, you know, once you explain to, to the parents who are, have a nine-year-old that's never 
been into it. They, they'll learn eventually, but as long as they understand you're investing in the kid's ability to learn responsibility, to get friends at a show, you know, you're, you're investing in their opportunities instead of the hog itself, I guess. It's an entertainment venue right. for your families and uh, it's a teaching learning experience. And yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's definitely different than what it used to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I always like to correlate it to, you know, these families maybe that are a little bit more hesitant or unsure, you know, if they can handle it and stuff like that, you know, what's the difference in buying a thousand dollar baseball bat for your kid to go play travel baseball versus going and buying a, you know, three or $400 show pig and, and the value that they learn from doing that versus, you know, and it's a family affair. So, I mean, you know, this is a whole nother discussion, but, um, you know, I think being able to afford kids the opportunity to do that and, and to compete and, and, you know, all the lessons they get to learn from it is really what's more valuable than, than most, I think, realize. I know back, uh, um, oh gosh, it would have been 98 or 99. I mean, it was the upsurgence of everything coming along. It was the beginning of NJSA. And I think that was back about the time when, when reg, straight market hogs hit eight cents a pound, all, all time record, eight cents a pound. And I mean, and one guy actually took a load of feeder pigs to the stockyards, and uh, instead of getting a check in the mail, he got a bill. Oh, jeez. And this is legit. Legit. He still got that on his wall. Um, it, so, I mean, it was, it was bad. And, and I know there was a lot of fear amongst breeders, especially ones that have been in a long time. You know, what? how are we going to sell pigs this spring? And I, told, I said, fellas, I said, we're going to sell fun. Mm. I said, you can't sell it that this you know, they're going to make a lot of money on this project. You've got to sell fun. As you got to let them know. And I can remember going up on the sale block at Sprint customer sale and did, just actually did that. And um, I told them that I said, you can go spend 200 bucks on, on uh soccer uniform and $200 for a pair of soccer cleats. They're going to wear about 12 times and outgrow them. Or I said, you can now let these kids enjoy this and get some good out of it and a sense of responsibility they're going to get. And we had a great sale, you know, and, and it's, um, you got, you got to look at it that way. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't like a lot of things in life day. It doesn't pencil. Right. It doesn't always pencil. Now, you might sell a, one of those guilts that you show for yeah, five, well, 10,000. That's awesome. That's, yeah. that's, 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 uh, icing on top of the cake, but, um, you have to go into it, enjoying it, wanting to learn, meeting those other kids. And that's, that's where Xander, he just, just loves going to shows, just, just being with everybody, uh-huh. you know, and that's, those are friends you'll make for life. And that's the, the, the places I look forward to going to is the shows and visiting with people that, that I've known for years and nothing against the local people or who I had high school with. That's, that's all great too. But those, those different things, you just kind of pick up right where you were the last time you saw them, you know, it's like you never, never missed each other. And, yeah. and you, just, you just go right into the next conversation. Corey, um, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but uh, we're we're sitting at just uh, just under an hour. So, uh, if you have anything else you'd like to add, uh, Jim, if you have any final comments, I totally appreciate you doing this for us. It's been fun to listen to the history books cracked open and uh, had a little bit of fun with it too. But uh, Corey, do you have anything else you want to add? And I, I just think you know, sitting back and thinking about conversation, you know, I think the real um, silver lining in this is that, you know, if there's something that, that you see, uh, is a value and something that you believe in that you can use, um, in, in any aspect of life, not even just the, the livestock world, but, you know, you got to stand up for, for what you believe in. And, and Jim, I, you know, got a lot of respect for you you know, standing up for the, uh, what you thought you could use the, with the, with the gene and stuff like that and helping make show pigs the way that you wanted them to be built and, and have the opportunity to use it, even though maybe it wasn't the most popular thing or, uh, you know, people might, like you said, laugh at you a little bit, but you know, if it's something you truly believe in and, and, you know, think you can make an impact, uh, you got to go for it. And I think that's kind of the real, to me, the silver lining in this whole discussion, um, you know, that, that stuff's a interesting topic and, uh, like all that kind of stuff, but really think about it. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, that the livestock industry affords people to do is, you know, stand, stand up for the things they truly believe in and be able to, 
showcase maybe some of their their thoughts and ideas and and use it to their advantage so yeah always uh you know always have conviction in what you do and you don't have to be the popular one and i know you know growing up in high school and all that the peer pressure and different things but do what you know is right um have some conviction and about what you feel uh feel is the, is the right way to do it and, and be willing to stand up for it. And you'll f- probably find out at times you're not going to be by yourself. And, and, and this was no, uh, this was no different. There was a, a time or two and uh, a couple of those meetings and you kind of felt like you were the lone ranger, you know, and then uh, next thing you know, you got a guy slamming his fist on the table and agreeing with you. And, and it, uh, it, uh, it means a lot. Uh, and those are, those are good people that again, that have convictions about the same things and they've got some common sense and, and, uh, it's, uh, it's all good. It's a brave new world. <laughs> well, I, we appreciate you opening up a little bit. I know it's, it can be a touchy topic for some, but, uh, I, I, Corey hit the nail on the head. There's no need to repeat it. It's do your own thing and do it well. And, I think you were on the fourth and one on the goal line, and I think you scored. You, you ran the football so. instead of trying to pass it and get intercepted. <laughs> <laughs> but, Jim, thanks a lot for coming on. We we appreciate the time, and I know it took an hour out of your Saturday. We're, we're uh, missing football and all, but I think this has value. So I appreciate uh, everything you've done. For for me personally, is beyond uh, personal with, with, with the way I got my start and and to be able to, to stay connected and then learn from it yet. So um, thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Well, just real quick for everybody that's listening, uh, would like to invite you guys to go check out our Facebook page, uh, Stock Talk Podcast. Uh, if you've got any ideas for future episodes, uh, comments, things that you'd like to to maybe listen to or talk about, uh, you know, this is a new adventure for Trevor and I, so um, feel free to shoot us an email, stocktalkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, go check out our social media sites and, and things like that, too. You betcha. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This has been another edition of Stock Talk.